Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors writing in all genres, including fiction and nonfiction alike. I'm Lenny Picker, and today I'm speaking with Shamini Flint, whose new thriller, The Beijing Conspiracy, is being published by Severn House, the sponsor of today's podcast. Shamini, would you mind starting off with an excerpt from the book? I'd be delighted. Thank you for asking me. Jack Ford shut his eyes against the glare and found himself back in the desert. Afghan red dust clogging his nostrils, the sun so bright it was like a weapon in the hands of the Taliban. He remembered young Private Whiteside sitting next to him in the armored personnel carrier, hands clasped together, praying for deliverance from the IEDs. Events after that were tattooed into his brain. The explosion, being flung from the vehicle, complete silence, blood trickling from his ears, screaming for help, puffs of dust from incoming fire, holding Whiteside down and tying tourniquets to stop the blood. Jack took deep, slow breaths until the visions receded and he was back in the present. He looked around and established that he was in his tiny Brooklyn apartment, in his own clothes, surrounded by empty bottles from the previous evening. What had he been trying to forget? The letter. The letter was still there, on the cigarette-scarred coffee table, tugging at the corner of his vision like a migraine or a memory or a sniper's scope catching the light. He reached for the nearest bottle, tipped it back, gulped and then spat the mouthful all over the front of his shirt. Shit tasted weird. He held the bottle up to the light, squinting and grimacing. Ashes. Ashes. He'd used the bottle as an ashtray. Way to go, war hero. Jack wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and then rubbed his eyes with his palms. As recently as the previous afternoon, he'd intended, he'd absolutely intended to get on with the rest of his life as best as he could, to look at the past only when he had no choice, and then only through the bottom of a shot glass, until the letter. A real letter with those airmail marks on the envelope, a hand-printed address in a rectangle of Chinese stamps. It was one of those moments which had fate written all over it, like when Sergeant Price stopped to pat the dog and got his head blown off in Fallujah. Or when he'd been a young man in Beijing and met Jia for the first time. She had smiled and asked him, are you an American spy? Thank you. And Shamini, without giving away too much of the plot, could you put the excerpt you read into context for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, this story begins when Jack Ford, a sort of washed up ex-soldier with a problem with alcohol, receives a letter from China. And it's from a woman he used to know during the events of Tiananmen Square. And um, he was a young attache at the Beijing embassy and he and this woman had a relationship. They parted on terms that were not good, but the reasons become clearer later in the book. He receives a letter from her telling him for the first time after 30 years that he has a daughter in China and that she's in danger. And this is basically the trigger point for him to take steps to find out about his daughter, to discover what happened to Jia all those years ago. And he finds himself caught up in a really sort of complex conspiracy involving members of the government in China and those in the United States. And he basically finds himself a pawn in what I'm calling, well, I'm not the only one, but which I'm calling the sort of new Cold War between um, China and the US. And how did you come up with the idea for this book? Well, I'm often triggered by sort of images. And that picture that I'm sure you and many people are familiar with of the tank man, that man who stood 
in front of the People's Liberation Army tanks uh, the day after the Tiananmen Square massacre. Um, I mean, nobody knows who he was, who he is. Nobody knows why he did it. Nobody knows why he just suddenly walked out from the side of the street and faced down an entire row of tanks. Nobody knows what happened to him afterwards. And these sorts of quiet, unsung heroes who step up when there's no, there's no publicity to be gained, there's no sort of pat on the back for being a hero, there's no chance of victory, but just an important personal ethical decision that he made at that point that he had enough, that a line had to be drawn and he was going to draw it. And we, we would not know this man, except that he happened to do this where there was a foreign reporter in a hotel recording his sort of last stand from a window and he smuggled the tape out in his socks. And that's how we come to know about this man and have seen that video and have seen those images. And that, that picture has been bothering me for, you know, the last 20 years. And I've, I've been wanting to write about that man since. And uh, I finally had my chance. And what, as you researched Tiananmen Square, was there something that surprised you comparing what you found out when you were preparing for the book with your memories of the reporting at the time? It's, I mean, the book flashes back to Tiananmen Square, but fundamentally it's about a conflict in the present era. And the history of Tiananmen Square explains how the various protagonists end up in the places that they are in the plot. But the, the fundamental sort of point I'm trying to make or the story I'm trying to tell is of the sort of present conflict in the world and the sort of tension between China and the United States and its potential for uh, growing exponentially and suddenly and the trigger points that could cause anything up to um, World War Three, but also the sort of sense that people are not paying attention, at least from a fictional point of view, to this to this new bipolar world that we're living in. Um, I don't, I'm, you know, I grew up reading spy novels from the sort of Soviet era, you know, of the previous Cold War. And I feel that there's just a lack of uh, material, a lack of storytelling about the current dynamic. And I wanted to sort of fill, fill that space if I could. And what's your best guess as to why there is that lack of material? And there's certainly dramatic elements inherent in the conflict between two major nuclear superpowers. Um, to be honest, I think it's the sort of lack of detailed awareness of what's going on in Asia from a first world writer's point of view. It's not a dynamic that's easily covered by writers. You know, to know what's happening in Asia, to know what's happening in China, to understand how it works vis-a-vis the United States, I think requires someone in this part of the world. And it's just, it's just not that many writers, um, you know. I mean, I mean, there's a certain absurdity in, in my writing it because, you know, I've got a sort of white male hero uh, and I'm a middle-aged Indian woman. Um, but I suppose somebody had to sort of have a go who knew Asia well enough to understand, at least historically and in terms of contemporary politics, that particular power dynamic, which is playing out in real, real terms. I mean, it's playing out right now between the trade war, between the tension over Hong Kong. The flashpoint in my book is Taiwan, but it could be any number of, of potential uh, contentious issues that, that cause tensions to escalate. Now, 
you were born in Malaysia, but you currently live in Singapore, correct? Yes, that's quite correct. Is there a way in which the Cold War between the United States and China is having an impact on Singapore specifically? I mean, it's having an enormous effect on Asia, right? I mean, this thing where the United States has pretty much sort of abdicated its more um, global role in these last few years has had an extremely uh, negative effect in Southeast Asia because, for instance, China is expanding into the South China Sea. It's um, taking over islands. It's building military establishments. It is buying land. It is buying um, it's signing sort of contracts to run ports, to run um, every sort of major infrastructure in, in Asia. It's, it's, it's using economic and military expansion to take over influence in vast swathes of the world. And there is no effective counterpoint right now uh, because the United States is going through an isolationist patch and it is leaving the world extremely exposed the rest of us, that is. So you're probably best known to our listeners for your Inspector Singh series, and one of which was set in Beijing. How was writing this standalone thriller different from writing your other books? And I guess specifically, I was wondering about the uh, the Inspector Singh book that I just referenced. Yeah. Um, Inspector Singh uh, is a series of crime novels featuring a Sikh inspector. And that, to be honest, is a is a far more sensible thing for me to be writing because they're very country specific. They're very sort of culture and politics of individual jurisdictions specific. So they're susceptible to, to research, to knowledge, to visiting um, in, a, in a way that, uh, that's manageable. So taking on this thriller and trying to sort of write a book with an international dimension that covered numerous countries in a sort of fairly action-packed book was was quite difficult. But again, I um, enjoyed writing it, and it, it gave me a chance to sort of tell a story that I thought was important in a style that I'm not previously written. So I can't complain. But yes, I would say it's it's quite different in in scope and focus from my my um, previous books. So having ventured out of your comfort zone to write this sort of different kind of book, are you thinking of doing something else that, again, is sort of more in the thriller genre than, than a mystery? Well, that's the problem, isn't it? I used to write these books um, set in different Asian countries and try and sort of highlight issues of politics and culture and society that I thought were worth fictionalizing, but also addressing because they were important issues that needed airing in the respective countries. There's no such thing as a single country issue anymore. If you want to sort of talk about the problems confronting humanity, I mean, I mean, it sounds a bit ridiculous and I don't mean to sort of um, exaggerate my ability, but you know, you have that sense of frustration as a writer that you want to say something and you want to explain something and you want to tell a story so that some of the, of the, the things that we need to discuss become more mainstream. And the only way to do that now is to write books with an international compass. Um, and that's why I've ended up with this one. And that's why I expect to do another one. I've just been in discussions with the publisher about writing a, 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 another one featuring Jack Ford, which is tentatively called Apocalypse. 
So I'm not going backwards in terms of the drama. And would that also have a connection with the with the new Cold War? Would there be a different, uh, you know, global threat or crisis? Uh, you know, without giving away too much, but I'm wondering if there's anything. I'm thinking of trying to address the climate crisis. You know, vested interests, big oil, the extinction rebellion, the the fight back from youth. I, I think this conflict over climate resources is going to become much uglier much sooner than people expect. So I, I, I'd be quite keen to sort of explore that. So yes, I mean, it's all going to be fairly miserable, but this time about the climate. And uh, before you became a, a full-time writer, you worked as a lawyer for a number of years. Was there something about your legal work or training that uh, has had a particular influence on your writing of fiction? I think it's had an enormous influence in the things that interest me. I mean, I am interested in legal issues and I'm interested in um, human rights issues and I'm interested in law and the breakdown of law and the consequences. So I'm not sure whether that's why I became a lawyer or whether that business of being a lawyer has infused my writing. Uh, but from a more practical point of view, I think being a lawyer has, has taught me to, to write you know, efficiently and to a deadline and to edit my own work harshly. So it's given me quite a few technical skills that I also think have turned out to be quite useful. And I, I understand that you relatively recently began working on a master's degree in creative writing and literature, a uh, Harvard program that you're doing online. Uh, after writing creatively uh, and, and successfully for so many years, what was it that uh, made you decide at this point to get that additional education? Well, again, you know, I was you know, qualified as a lawyer. I practiced for a bunch of years. Then I started writing and I've been writing since, I mean, reasonably, moderately successfully. And I, I suddenly had the most profound writer's block. And I suppose it must happen to everyone eventually, but it felt like I had squeezed every experience of mine, every incident, every exposure, every moment in my life for everything that it could give me from a writing point of view. And so I actually started studying with a view to perhaps going into teaching or, you know, um, working in a university or something since I could no longer write. And ironically, and I suppose this is what always happens, just being exposed to a bunch of different people writing in different genres and taking subjects which were not in my traditional sort of, um, genres, you know, suddenly I'm completely re-inspired and desperate to write again. And funnily enough, this thriller that has just come out, The Beijing Conspiracy, I did the first four chapters in, in a class and I sent it off to, to Seven House and they were enthusiastic and, and, and said if I finish it, they take it. So I did. So, and I've got two or three, I'm actually writing a volume of poetry and, and a creative nonfiction memoir of my father. And these are all out of different classes. So it, it showed that I just needed a, a fresh look at this business. And I guess it's sort of early to say, but do you have a sense that you're venturing even further out of your comfort zone? So poetry, the, uh, the memoir that you described, do you have a sense that that will affect how you write your next work of fiction? Um, yeah, this, that's a good point, actually. I do need to be careful to, I mean, there's no point writing my next thriller with a sort of poetic dimension. You know, I've got to keep these things isolated. But I, you know, writing, it's, um, 
it's not a thoughtful process, right? In many ways, it's in, well, for me, it's an instinctive process. So if I'm instinctively interested in something, if I see a picture or read a story or, or get worried about something, then I feel able to write. And what's happened with this class is that it's exposed me to a whole bunch of stuff that's made me interested in things again. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to being triggered into new writing now. And it's really, it's actually quite nice. I'm not young anymore. So it's, it's, it's great fun to have this, this sense of, of youth and adventure about writing once more. And for those of our listeners who are fans of Inspector Singh, is he somewhere in the future at this point or have you taken a break? Well, actually, you know, um, it's, 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 I'm not allowed to say too much. Okay. I've temporarily sort of stopped writing Inspector Singh is because he's actually been optioned for television by what is a genuinely large and sort of global um, platform, um, which I'm not allowed to sort of get into the details of yet until they're ready to, they, they apparently they need to sort of progress further before we can all shout about it on social media. Um, but the idea is that I wait until they, they get filming so that we know where to go with book number eight. And can you imagine if Inspector Singh is on TV? I, for one, can die happy at that point. Uh, and, and many of your fans would be as well. So thank you again, Shamini, for your time today. And thank you, audience, for listening. Uh, the book, again, is The Beijing Conspiracy uh, from Severn House. Please join us again soon for the next Litcast.